Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the uh, Wednesday night Bible study of Christ Church. Uh, we are studying the prophet Amos. And uh, as is our ancient tradition, we always make sure that when we gather, we gather in prayer, which is a good thing. And uh, we acknowledge that God is present. His spirit is present with us. His wisdom is present with us. And he is present with us here all through Zoom, but also to everybody who is listening. And uh, we appreciate you joining our family and uh, studying along with us and endeavoring to once again hear the word of the Lord and take it to heart. And uh, our brother Michael is going to lead us in prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, that you have given us not just your word in Scripture, but your word in Christ Jesus, whom you gave to us to free us from sin and death and to carry with him in his glorious extension the hopes and promises of our eternal life in him. Lord, we pray you open our hearts and minds to your word, that you would cleanse us of anything that is not of you, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, enliven and enlighten this group and protect us from anything outside of you. Lord, I want to take a moment and lift up Aaron and his daughters. You know, Lord, with your holy eyes, you see exactly what is needed. We bless and thank you for family and for life, Lord, and for long life, Lord, but I pray a complete and total healing and miraculous healing in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and be with us as we study this marvelous book of Scripture. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. We appreciate the prayer. Okay, so here we go. We are Amos chapter 3. Amos is the shortened version uh, of Amasia, the Lord carries. So Amos does mean the word burden, and so we, we sometimes often think, that Amos has a burden or or um, the prophet is burdening or we all have burdens, which is all true, but actually it's it's God is having a burden and God needs to offload this burden. And uh, so he's sending a southern prophet to the north, which is uh, an interesting environment because in context, um, Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, is prosperous. It's actually doing really well in this time period. It might be doing um, spiritually bankrupt and is doing very poorly in terms of like idolatry and all that kind of stuff. But economically, we're a powerhouse. Um, social, uh, technologically, we're doing really well. Militarily, we have not been beaten. In fact, um, Second Kings tells a story of, of, of how Israel went up and actually thrashed Assyria there for a while. So um, militarily, we're even doing well. And the southern kingdom, well, they're just poor. You know, there's a very small army, always a vassal state. And so here you get this poor little uh, southern hickster coming up north and telling this rich guy uh, some really bad news. And in chapter one, he tells him really good news. All the bad guys are all going to get it. That's fantastic. Let's listen to him just a little bit more. But then he rolls into, into chapter two. And uh, Moab gets a little bit of, uh, of disaster. Fine, we don't particularly like them either even though they might be our cousins, but then it becomes inward. And then a whole bunch of issues, uh, like apart from that being an issue, other issues come up. And one of them we talked about in our first session. I don't know exactly what uh, John did, did uh, last week, but there are other prophets running around in the north. There are schools of them. And yet God doesn't choose one of those prophets, which is an interesting thought. 
Why does God choose someone who tells everybody, I am not a prophet? I am not descended of prophets. I'm running around breeding sheep. Thank you very much. But now I've got to go and give this uh, northern northern group um, uh, the word of the Lord. So what does that tell us? And I think one of the things we do need to wrestle with is, you know, why, uh, why do so many um, of our modern day prophets only ever prophesy good news? Uh, where are they getting all this information from? And, um, and, and maybe, maybe there's uh, something we really need to learn here. And I would suggest, yes, I would suggest we need to hear what God is saying through his prophet and take that to heart and uh, put it into our context sure modern context got to got to do that too and uh, also remember the ancient context because it'll be the way things are said and expressed but at the end of the day we have prophets there are lots of them they're all over the place um what are they saying where are they coming from and are we missing those little voices of people who we weren't assuming were actual real real prophets and yet they were so all right um we'll read chapter three and then begin to discuss so i'll read to record it uh this time i'm reading from an niv now why am i reading from an niv it's the first thing i pulled off the shelf honestly guys it really doesn't matter which version you're following um they all have a nuance some good some bad i've also got the hebrew here and i know that a couple of our jewish brothers and sisters online will be able to help us out with the Hebrews as well. All right, so Amos chapter 3. Hear this word, people of Israel, the word of the Lord, the word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family that I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket? When it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? And when disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy. So proclaim to the fortress of Ashdod and the fortress of Egypt. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. An enemy will overrun your land, pull down your strongholds, plunder your fortresses. This is what the, the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only the head of a bed, a piece of fabric from a couch. Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord the Lord God Almighty. On the day I punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut down and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions 
will be demolished, declares the Lord. Wow, it's uh, pretty fiery stuff. Okay, so initial thoughts out of that reading. Was there a sentence or two or something that just jumped out at you that, went, that, that led to a, an epiphany, so to speak? Okay, Vida, David. Yeah, Aaron, I, uh, looking at the thing where it says, I will also visit the altars of Bethel. Uh, I wonder why there was nothing to do with it, because I, I know that's where Jeroboam set up the temple and the, and the golden calf, right? It's interesting yep. that well, at the same time mention uh, Dan. Ah, yeah, that's right. He doesn't mention Dan. Um, he I mentions Bethel as a, I don't know, maybe it's closer. Uh, I mean, Dan has not disappeared here. And, um, and what's interesting is the actual archaeology of Dan still exists and Beth and Beit El's doesn't, so, um, which I found quite interesting because you can go to Beit El today and um, it's an absolutely lovely kibbutz, <laughs> um, uh, which, which, is, which is, I think is also one, another little piece of irony because it's surrounded um, by these uh, large Arab towns and uh, you can actually stand on a really nice outlook and they have... Uh, the the verses from Genesis 14 where God says to Abram, look to the north, look to the look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. You know, I'm going to give you all of these as an inheritance. And you look out today and you go, wow, a lot of Arab cities out there. Okay, there's a um, quite a little, little bit of irony running around. Yeah, there's no Dan on the way. Okay, Michael. This is bone chilling stuff, and my first thought is. I would run, um, whether I knew God or not. And this is the voice of the Lord roaring. This is a prophet speaking. I'd get the hell out of there. I mean, but nobody did, did they? How do you flee? That's a good question. So one, no one takes the warning like we would think that they would. Perhaps we also don't take warnings, really. Uh, I've got a suspicion we also are a bit like that. Um, it's I, I find verse 7 to be very interesting where it says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to the prophets. And you go, okay, great. How many prophets are speaking? One. How many prophets have we got? Schools of them. Um, so what is that an indictment of? It's an indictment of these prophets. Yes, it's like, um, I reveal my, my plans to the prophets. And you can imagine the people saying, yeah, but these other prophets haven't said anything. Yeah, because they're not real prophets. And um, I don't know what they're studying in school, but it's not um, it's not how to hear from the Lord. So uh, I think I think this uh, verse seven here gives a little a little clue to um, to what's going on in the, in these uh, interesting schools. Teresa, London. Um, it's just interesting that in verse thirteen uh, he refers to the house of Jacob, which is of course the name Jacob became Israel after he had struggled with the angel but he but the Jacob was you know it refers to his craftiness and all the things he did stealing blessings and goodness knows what and I think there must be a significance in that yeah in God's I think attitude. I think yes I think in context if if people who were reading Bible regularly uh, heard the word Jacob you would have to at least come with some of that knowledge of the history of Jacob you would have mm -hmm. to be it's a has to be a loaded a loaded word. Shimshon, Nigeria. Yeah, shalom, everyone. Yeah. Um, it's very obvious that the prophets could are not speaking because of um, you have to be political correct. Um, people were always under that pressure. And um, in the in the in the side of the Israel, I mean where they have started their own kind of um priesthood, the priest is not in the same boat with 
Amos, for instance. So everybody will kind of want to align, you know, behind the priest um, in that place. But something that, you know, strikes my attention very much is verse number 12. It speaks about the, the Lord, you, you know, using an analogy there about um, the Lord rescuing, you know, from the mouth of the lion, um, two shards of bones and a tip of an ear. I mean, uh, for every um, shepherd, when they when what is left is just um, two feet and an ear, you just abandon it. It's like a it's, it's a gun. It's a gun issue. You don't want to, you know, you know, stress yourself and go in there because it's dead. But the Lord still find it important. I mean, it was not an hopeless situation to God. You know, using that analogy, it's a very hopeless situation to everybody reading it. You know, as Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion, two feet and an ear, so the Israelite will escape. And so it, it kind of painted a very um, impossible situation to us, but with God, it is possible. It's very powerful. That's interesting. Because when I read it, I read it as a, a sort of a bleak look. But you actually read it also as, as there's a positive side to this, that even though the situation looks bleak, God can still rescue. You know, as, that's actually interesting. It's a, it's a bit of both. There's a, there's a two streams going on there. Yeah, that's not bad. Okay, uh, a couple other hands. Let's honor the hands. Brittany. Hi. Um, so the questioning that starts in verse 3 um, and 4 and then all the way to like verse 6, where he's questioning, it's like a cause and effect. Like this is what's happening and this is the effect. It kind of reminds me of, some verses from Psalm 94, and it starts in verse 8, and it says, Take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. And that kind of connection back to the questioning of God sees what is going on and he knows these are the causes and effects of what happens when you're not listening and obeying me. So that's kind of my first take from it. Good, because the uh, as part of also is the cause and effect. Let's extrapolate that out. Um, we should be able to see fruit should be able to see something. The faith can't just be something esoteric. It, uh, it's got to be able something to see. And, and, and what God is saying here, or as, and also the Psalms, you should be able to see something. You can, you can see the reaping of your sowing. And uh, so if we see something happening, if we, if, we, if we have eyes to see, we should be able to then try and go backwards. Why is this happening? Well, it's happening because of a historical event or something that's been, been going on. And um, unfortunately, let's, if we're all honest, you know, hindsight's 2020 vision. Usually, we only see what happened after the event. So hard to be able to see ourselves during the event. And at the end of the day, I think if there's going to be anything we learn from Amos, it's trying to figure out how we can learn present present day um, prophecy, present day attitudes. What can we see God doing today so that we don't reap something that we sowed uh, to ourselves? All right, guys, let's have a look at the text. Um, and, and uh, I've got a few questions, starting at uh, in, in verse 1. So hear the word, people of Israel. That's our target audience. 
the word the Lord has spoken against you, against who, and then God describes who he describes against the whole family that I brought up out of Egypt. Now, what's important about that state? Okay, go for it, Rita. Firstly, before I answer your question, I find it fascinating. It says, oh, children of Israel and the family which I brought up. So there's this post that God is really appealing to so on such a personal level, like you're talking to your children, your own personal family here. He's, he's really appealing to them and saying, look, I'm your father kind of situation, the way he's talking to them. But yep. uh, going back to your question that I find really interesting is God is the one that's led them and kept them all the way through. And they are turning, as you, as you mentioned earlier, they're starting to rely on their own self-reliance here. And they're turning away from God. So he's reminding them of his great power, that he's the one that rescued them when they were enslaved. That's a good question. Good. That's a good point. They are turning away from God because they're now so self-reliant. So what's the danger of all empires becoming an empire, <laughs> right? Being successful. You know, it's, it's one of those, it's those uh, traps. We, we were discussing it in uh, Deuteronomy in uh, you know, what we called the last words of, of Moses, where Moses had one more shot to tell the Israelites, this is my fear when you get successful, right? When you're here, we are in the desert and we're poor and we haven't got a big army and God's been fighting for us and it's been absolutely fantastic. But then what's going to happen when we actually take over the Holy Land and we actually conquer all our enemies and there's no more enemies to fight and we sit around and build really big houses, which he promised, and we plant and we eat some crops, which he promised, and we drink the wine, which he promised. All of this is a blessing. What happens then? And Moses was sort of shaking his head going, oh, I can, I can see it now. Uh, you know, in your success, you're going to fail. And uh, that story plays out again and again and again. Now that we know that that's actually history, and history, not just of Jewish people, our own, all of our cultures. What is it that we can do to try and put in some safeguards? Uh, and what, is that, what does that even look like? You know, that's, that's a tough one um, because uh, you reap what you sow. That is a biblical principle, and, um, but we've seen it here. But also like what you said, Vida, this is very family-orientated. It's personal, okay? This is who I'm talking against uh, Israel, but against who? A family that I brought out of Egypt, because how is God known? How does God reveal who he is, what he is, what his character is like? He does it through his actions and his great big act of redemption up until this point, uh, in Amos anyway, was Exodus, was the Exodus from Egypt. And once he got his people and a whole bunch of Gentiles too, we all might, might add, he then, when he encounters Israel, he actually says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, which, by the way, is this week's parasha, which is actually this week's Torah portion, uh, the Ten Commandments, where God uh, God, God uh, speaks to his people. Um, I always find this, this, this parasha quite interesting because it's the Ten Commandments are in a Torah portion named after a Gentile. I mean, it's a, you think, hang on a second, this is the Ten Commandments. This is Mount Sinai. Surely we should have a parasha named Moses, you know, or a Prince of Egypt, or, you know, something really cool, Gabriel, anything. But no, we're going to name it after uh, some Gentile uh, father-in-law, right? priest of Midian 
but that's where you get the Ten Commandments. I, I find, um, and that's not lost on rabbis, by the way. Just about every rabbinical commentary will make a mention of that, saying, "What was God doing? What is God trying to teach me?" Probably a little bit of humility, maybe. Okay. All right. Uh, Michael, you've got a hand raised. As soon as I heard the words, I brought you up out of Egypt, I would have stopped dead. And I would have thought of Moses. In fact, in the Bible, <clears throat> I notice a little bit about creation, the God of creation who spoke, who breathed forth creation. But he, when he really wants to stick his thumbs under his suspenders, he talks about the Exodus. He talks about the Passover. He talks about, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It's all over the Psalms. There's far, far more verses about that than there is about anything else. So as soon as I heard I brought you up out of Egypt, I would have gone, oh, man. Yeah. And according to the, the Exodus narrative, who else comes out of Egypt? Jews, Gentiles, and God. God comes out of Egypt, right? And uh, so because uh, What? What? Uh, yeah. I've not heard that before. Yeah. God, God comes out of Egypt with his people. He walks through the wilderness. He leads them, actually. But he's journeying with them. So he came out with them. And uh, so he also departs Egypt. And uh, so he has this he has this incredible right. I took you out of Egypt. I did all this. So I get to punish. Right. So like I've got uh, there's a, there's a, I'm allowed to, to do the bring in the punishment because I put got you all out of here in the first place. But uh, so but that, I think that's also why he says, you know, do two walk together because we walked together. We walked the wilderness together and, uh, and 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 through the conquest. We did the conquest together. You know, I, I set myself up in Shiloh and I was with you, you know, during the whole time. And then we established the temple and then you just somehow made a mess of the whole darn thing. And uh, it, it all it all seemed to have fallen apart. So God is going to uh, warn them. Um, and like all good prophecies, um, they can change. Right? We have to remember what a prophecy isn't always. Uh, this is going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. They're warnings that if you don't, this is what happens. There's a difference between apocalyptic literature, which is we're just going to smash and there's going to be fire from heaven and you know, uh, meteors are going to fall from sky. And there's nothing you can do about it. The sun will be turned into, into, you know, the moon will turn to blood and the sun will go dark. Nothing you can do about it. That's just going to happen. That's apocalyptic. But prophecy is, a, is, a, is actually a warning, which means it might not happen. The actual point of the prophecy is so that it doesn't happen. Now, isn't that a good little piece of irony? Because uh, we often view prophecy as just it's always going to happen. Nothing you can do about it. All right, a couple of hands raised. We'll honor the hands. Shimshon, Nigeria. Yes, thank you, Aaron. Um, when when I read that verse one, it's it, it kind of connects to the previous chapters that we've read because we understand how um, the prophet Amos was drawing his narrative. He first of all started mentioning the countries they were far off, and he started moving closer, and they started moving closer. Then he finally put the dots on um, Israel. Um, but now he goes back again and is mentioning Israel. And he says the whole house of Israel, in case you miss it, I'm talking about everybody I brought from Egypt. And he's talking about Judah also, you know, That's bringing right. the whole house of Israel. You know, he's kind of including Judah in this thing because he's talking about this whole family that he has brought out from the land of Egypt. So he, he kind of included the um, Judah in this um, case and once more. 
so that it's not lost. Excellent. Good point. I forgot about that. Right. Everyone that comes out of the of Israel, of, of Egypt, is Israel, even though we are split into two kingdoms. So uh, the, this warning is for everyone. Okay, Tiffany. Oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, so just when you were going over Amos 3, I, it just triggered some of my memory of how you said the Lord was with them in the wilderness and he was with them when he took them out of Egypt, um, led them to the promised land, how you, how you were saying he was with them the whole way. Um, and just it also reminded me of how the Lord said, look, I'm going to bring you into this land, but don't forget me. Don't forget my commandments. Don't do as the your neighbors will do, the, you know, with our idolatry. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but to not forget his word. And I feel I know that this is more uh, practical application, but I just I know that that's like today. I mean, it's no different from today. Um, we're in all of our comforts and um, things that we've been given. We can forget God and his word, just like the Israelites. Oh, yeah. Preach it, sister. And the, what you've said is, um, is, is, I'm going to say a word here, because what God is doing is he's linking the present to the past, right? Uh, Israel, I took you out of Egypt. So here we are, present Israel, but I, it takes you all the way back to the past. And what do we call that? History. And what you've just been mentioning, Tiffany, is our current world. We have no love of history. We forget history. We want to change history. We certainly don't want to learn from history. And uh, and if someone ever says, I'm going to study history, then people sort of go, oh, really? What are you going to do with that? You know, and that's and that, isn't that sad with, you know, by 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 denigrating an incredible treasure, we have actually turned around and hurt ourselves. We should be valuing historians. We should be be rereading the histories of all of our countries and civilizations and learning from our mistake, uh, uh, and which is something that we unfortunately don't, don't do because history is important to God. History is very important to God. He's constantly, as you mentioned, Tiffany, saying, remember, don't forget. Here's a sacred calendar. Don't forget the Passover. Don't forget Shavuot. Don't forget the, the, the giving of the Torah. Build some sukkahs so you can remember what it was like in the wilderness you know this uh i'm i'm god i'm just as part of of history as i am part of present as i am part of future so for me it's all you know wrapped up and uh and, but unfortunately we live in a society or our culture that um really has no no desire uh for history and uh which is a bit of a bit sad really so yeah so when when um Micah, who's currently in the army, I'll get to you in a minute, Shimshon. He asked, I asked him, what did you want to do? And he goes, oh, I want to be a, a I want to study history. And um, I thought, cool, he'll never have a job, but cool. <laughs> okay, Shimshon, all yours, brother. Yeah, not just that uh, we, 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 the, this, the modern society is not valuing history anymore. There is a deliberate attempt to wipe out history, and which is so sad, you know? Um, if we, what has happened has happened, we can't change it, but we can always learn from it. Um, you know, it always sounds as if it's good. Um, uh, people want to tear down some statues and all this. And the idea behind it is that, oh, they speak of uh, racism in those days when there were slave masters, but no, that history happened. 
and we cannot say we cannot unhappen it. You know, we cannot say it would it doesn't happen. So we can continue to see it and learn from it, but not to try to deny it that it never happened. And because we were going to fall into the same situation again. Um, and that's the sad thing that is happening. They're destroying history and they're replacing it with something else. Uh, very good point. The Not that we should ever glorify slavery. We never should. But we should always acknowledge it did happen because we also then get to celebrate heroes who changed it, right? I mean, how do you talk about William Wilberforce if you've whitewashed history and we, we never actually had slavery? We were just all really good to each other. Who's William Wilberforce? Oh, he's just another guy being good to each other. Uh, it has no meaning. These these characters came into a world and said, this is not actually right. We'll fix it. And uh, and we, we need to do that. Uh, Michael put in a, po- in, in, the, in a chat, to destroy a people's history is of the first importance to any despot, yes, and uh, which we should then take a serious warning in our current uh, world today, where whoever the elites are, once we start wiping out history, we are setting ourselves up for a a big, big fail. So this is one warning that we need to take take to part. Uh, Love history, embrace history, don't let them delete those pages off Wikipedia. uh, make sure that we get together and, and celebrate the good and the bad. Okay, the good and the bad. Right? That's what the Bible is. Uh, one of those one of those interesting books where it tells all the faults of our characters. Doesn't change it. Doesn't whitewash it. It uh, lets us know, you know, Abraham wasn't perfect. Jacob's always a coward. David, you know, he's got he's got some big big problems, um, uh, and, uh, and and these kinds of things. But they, but they, they overcome, they repent, they, they try harder. They, God doesn't abandon them, and they don't abandon God. Right when they stumble and fall, that's a big, that's a big story to learn. Okay, that when we do fall over, we don't give up and just sit under a tree and go, okay, God doesn't love me, and I don't love God, and we'll just wait for hell. That's not right. That's not the story that the Bible. Bible gives us. Michael? In the United States, uh, for a great uh, period of time, has come the uh, push, not necessarily to revise history, but to include those who were previously ignored or oppressed, Black people, people of color. Uh, I'm a member of the NAACP. We go to a predominantly Black Baptist church. And at first, it was very difficult, not that I was resisting that, but that it was it was shameful because I've studied history for so long, I can tell you all about certain people. But many years ago, when I first began to look at Black studies, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't aware that there was any suppression Good. of uh, those stories. Yeah. Uh, there are very few, the, the Buffalo Soldiers, on and on it goes, so the great abolitionists, but now that has been used as a vehicle to attack all history. And the, the strategy seems to be, since you left us out, we're going to wipe you out. Yeah, you all may be familiar with all the tearing down of the Confederate uh, statues yeah. and to eradicate that part of history. Yeah, Shimshon was mentioning that as, as well. But it is, it's, uh, yes, I, in, you know, in looking at the Israeli culture, the dialogue that we have here is trying to make sure that Jewish studies is taught in Arab areas and Arab studies is taught in Jewish areas so that we can, you know, uh, Arabs have a history too. They've got culture and, you know, thanks be to them, we've got algebra, you know, all these kinds of uh, uh, things. One of my favourite poems is uh, Still the Rubiat, okay, the 12th century, uh, very, very long Arabic poem about time because it takes forever to read it. Tiffany. Um 
I was just looking at the passage and I was thinking like almost like this it sounds like a barometer almost of like where their hearts are toward the Lord and how far they've gone from him. And it's, I love like how the Lord uses like such strong language, like with the, um, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion, two legs and a piece of an ear. So shall be the people of Israel. Like he's giving them such a graphic picture to say, um, like you mentioned, um, Aaron, if you don't listen to this warning, this is what's going to happen to you. And so to me, I mean, I would be struck with fear if that, if the Lord like spoke that against me and my family, I would be like, I need to get right with the Lord. Like, I don't want to be in the mouth of a lion, like torn apart. Um, we would anyway. hope, we would hope that that's the thing. Right. I know. We, I know. We would hope that my, my fear is, is sometimes people are actually giving us warnings of our culture right now. And we're not listening. Maybe, maybe, maybe their voices are being drowned out. But even if I do hear, you know, I'm I'm trying to also learn to go. Okay, well, what? Yeah, Tiffany, can I actually put the warning into practice? Uh, which is the which is a good thing. Uh, picking up at verse two, which links onto verse one, of course, uh, not just in chronology, but we're talking about a family. We're talking about history. We're talking about how God is in the past and He's linking it to the present. He turns around and he says, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Oh, it's nice to be chosen. Therefore, I will punish you <laughs> for all of your sins. You're like, Whoops, uh, maybe I don't want to be chosen anymore. Um, I mean, not that Damascus uh, didn't get punished because it wasn't chosen. Right. We all remember chapter one. Great. Chapter one. Chapter one was fantastic. We got to smack everybody around. But um, so what does it mean? Do you think? for God to choose Israel, because this is one of those um, polarizations uh, that we find in, in, the, in the Christian world to this day, right? We don't like the idea of favored nation. We don't like the idea of chosen people. Um, so what does it mean? And who are, who are the non-chosen? Chosen to do what? Okay, David or Vida? I was just thinking, because I've been pondering that question, why God chose Israel and to make them a nation. And I was reading in the Old Testament and it came across a verse which really struck me where God said, I've chose, I, I've chose you as a nation because of my promise and my love for Abraham. So really God is saying that because of his covenant keeping, because of his love for Abraham and because of ultimately that seed that will come, that promised seed, which is the Messiah, that will come, all families will be blessed. God is fulfilling his own promise and he's done, he's kept that nation and he's loved that nation because that will be the fulfillment of this wonderful promise God made to Abraham. Amen. It, it says in Genesis that in the days of Enosh, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So what does that mean? It means Gentiles were talking to God and God was responding back. You know, it's, it's, it's not that God doesn't communicate to the non-chosen, but he wants to bring them blessing. And he decided in his wisdom uh, that the best plan, the way that this would, is to be done, is I can reflect my character through Israel. I can reflect who I am, my sovereignty, my kingship, my Torah, all my, all my holiness. But Israel's not going to keep it. Israel's going to share it. They're going to be a light. They're going to be like a beacon 
and uh, and it's gonna it's gonna impact the nations, and all the nations will be blessed. Do the nations want to receive such a blessing? Well, that's a different story. Okay, but um, or are the nations actually looking at Israel as a light? That's also perhaps another different story. But but definitely there is the idea of a chosenness. And whoever's listening, don't do not ignore uh, that calling for Israel. Because uh, they, as as Paul says, the gifts and calling are irrevocable. So uh, they're called, they've got a calling, and we should uh, help them along in that. It'll be a blessing for everyone. Teresa, London. Yeah, I was really, I was thinking of what you were saying largely, Aaron, but it, he chose them out of his sovereignty, didn't he? Because he said, I didn't choose you because you, I mean, I'm putting it in my own language, because you were so good and you were so special. I just chose you. And I want you to be a light to the nations, as you said. And um, they were to be, weren't they? They were to be the, the real example of what it means to love God, what it means to keep his commandments. Um, and they obviously we know they're failed. And here they are failing. And Amos is saying, look, <laughs> basically, look, or at least God is saying through Amos, look, look at you. I brought you out. I chose you. Yeah. And that, that was what I wanted to say, really, because that, that is the ultimate, isn't it? They were to be the light, yep. the light to the nations. And then everybody else would see that wonderful light, hopefully follow it. Um, yeah, like the kings followed the star. And uh, the Hebrew is very much more intimate, which is um, uh, what's been pointed out by by Janet. Is verse 2 in Hebrew, it's, it's only you have I known, okay? And so it's a very intimate knowledge. There's something about this family where God has said, out of all the other nations, I walk with them. I journey with them. I'm in captivity with them. I'm in redemption with them. And uh, so there's a very, very special thing. And because they got this closeness, then you get the justification, so therefore I'll punish. That doesn't mean I don't punish other nations. It doesn't mean I don't bless other nations, because I do. And other verses of the Bible, God will use non-Jewish nations to do his will. Right? He says, yeah, I did this nation to do to, to, to take care of that. And you know, Babylon does this, and Assyria does that. And, and, uh, and, and and such forth. And Cyrus, right? the Persians, all these different people, um, they're all in that under the hands of the Lord. But there's something about uh, being intimately known. I think we all want to be intimately known by the Lord. And, uh, and Israel has that treasure. And uh, so we should get jealous. Yeah, okay, I want that too. One of the things that should be attracting us to the light. Uh, Brittany, I don't know where you're from. Otherwise, I'd say Brittany from? Uh, Tennessee. Brittany from Tennessee. Um, I was thinking about the name Israel and where it comes from. And I believe the foreword for Amos in my Bible talks about him delivering this message at Bethel, a temple in Bethel. And I don't, is that like the temple, a modern temple that we would know of where they made sacrifices and things like that? Or yeah, was, was it? The, um, it was a pagan uh it was an alternative temple to the temple in Jerusalem set okay. up by uh, Jeroboam. Whether it initially began as a pagan cult center, it definitely went that way. I mean, they may have thought that they were worshipping God at uh, Beit El um, initially, but, um, but it's, it's gone absolutely south by the time Amos is around. Okay, because it was Jacob's name first, and he was, you know, his name meant like 
he deceives or he grasps the heel. But God changed his name at Bethel. And that's where he named him Israel and said, you know, I'm going to change your name and I'm going to bless you because of Abraham and Isaac. And that name means he struggles with God. And I think that they are still struggling here. And that name just continues to um, be be prophetic in itself that this is where they're at. And I've known this family and they're still struggling and wrestling with me. That's right. Ups and downs, highs and lows. Let's remember that, as you just mentioned, Beit El has some good history to it. It's not just pagan altar, right? This is where Jacob's ladder is. Right? This is where a little bit of heaven and earth connect. This is where, as you mentioned, we get the name chain um, and, and these kinds of things. This is where we get the wrestle with the, with the Lord, which uh, uh, is an is a absolutely fantastic. I, I've sort of kept that as, a, as, a, as an icon because of Jacob wrestling with God. It reminds me that everyone's got to do their own individual wrestle with God. You know? and sooner or later, it's got to be, we have community, yes. We are saved into a community, yes. But we still have to wrestle with God eventually on our own, sooner or later. Might as well get it over and done with. Okay, Vida, David. I was just thinking, you were talking about that intimacy. You are talking about the chastisement of the Lord upon Israel. And, and I was reminded of the verse in Hebrews where it says, the Lord God chastises those whom he loves. So this, 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 is, this is so much more than chastisement. He, he wants to bring them in line. And this, this for me is, is that an incredible love story in itself. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, and I think it's because it's intimate. Guess who it's also hurting? Yeah, we got to remember that, it, that it, you know, he, he says, you know, I would have it that everyone, right, comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord. But it doesn't work that way. You know, at the end of the day, the, uh, the guy who starts all of history doesn't actually get what he wants, which is an incredible tragedy. So Shakespeare got nothing on, on, uh, on the Lord here because his, his, his tragedy is even just so much worse. So we have a very intimate uh, uh, Lord. He has chosen their family. Okay, he's walked with them, and he, and from ever since the beginning to this to this present moment where we're in Beit El, which has some very positive parts to its history, and unfortunately, what Amos is looking at are rather negative uh, pieces of idolatry. And then the Lord goes through the, all those questions from three to six. Uh, and uh, it's it's it is it's a it's it's quite good good poetry. Um, how can we walk together? We used to, but we don't agree anymore. Right? We 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 had we had a covenant going. I've kept my side. You haven't kept your side. Um, does a lion roar when it has no prey? Why are you guys thinking you're doing so well? Right? You know, it's uh, you're celebrating something that you actually shouldn't be celebrating because your victories are hollow. They're empty. Your wealth has absolutely no meaning. Because uh, later on in the in the chapter, it's all going to get taken away. The summer house, the winter house. We're talking about a very affluent um, Israel here. They've done well, and if anybody had two or three houses, what would be what would would be the words coming out of our lips? Boy, the Lord has blessed you, right? That would be what we would normally say. It's like, yeah, the Lord's blessed me. Uh, my soul's empty, but I'm blessed. Okay, um, and so we have to be very careful. Uh, what we actually do with our wealth. In fact, what should we do with our wealth? Be generous. So, and so if you've got a bunch of houses, guys, yeah, 
Share them around. Invite your friends. Make sure people are staying in them. You've got a big table and it's full of food. Make sure that there's other people coming over for dinner, right? You know, and if you've got a big heart full of love, then don't stay in your home all by yourself, right? Share it. And uh, okay, that might be all on Zoom, and that's great too. But gotta, we gotta, we gotta share it. Michael uh, writes: Will a man rob God? That is a good question because he actually says that. I can't remember the um, prophet where he says that either. Um, but God has given us so much that he requires uh, He requires our generosity. It's actually a form of imitation of the Lord that if we actually really, really, really want to be holy, like he is holy, then we need to make sure. Ah, Prophet Micah. Excellent. Great name, by the way, just in case anybody missed it. Um, so at the end of uh, that that little th verses three to six, when disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? God also wants uh, people to know that when there is punishment, it's got to be linked back to the Lord. It can't be, oh, I made a mistake. That was just all my fault. I invested very poorly in the stock exchange, right? Um, God had nothing to do with it. Uh, we have to, there is, a, there is an element where um, we have to acknowledge Blessings come from the Lord, but also uh, disaster. And we need to be able to learn from both And because um, and, there's always a remnant, right? There's going to be those little bits of the bones, little bits of the legs. It's not that we're always all chewed up and there's nobody left. Let's honor the hands. We've got Teresa, London. Yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, as you read Amos and as we just read this little bit, it's so much a message for our time. If I just think of the environment, you know, in, in where I am, or well, certainly in London, I can't can't generalize, obviously. Um, but so often, you know, you find if we think about the church, because really we need to start with the church um, before we move out to the rest of our nation. Um, but you just hear people in the church, don't you? Well, this is not up to date anymore. You know, this is how people are now. That was for an earlier time. And that is said a lot among Christians. Um, yep. So that they're, they're justifying not having to take so much notice of the Bible, you know. Um, and, and that really is prevalent, I think. And of course, as soon as you have that view, it allows you a huge amount of liberty. And I, I think that is one of the big things. It's not really knowing, really trying to know God and actually then following him, following, you know, our Rabbi Yeshua. Um, being covered in his dust and and I think that that it is so clear in a way you know because God says judgment begins in the house of the Lord and it, you know we need to look at it's all right it's all right for us to talk about our governments being corrupt and this or whatever local government you know the whole lot everybody it's true but Actually, we need to look at our own house. And then, I mean, obviously starting out from ourselves, but I mean, we need to look at the church. And that's that was the point that I, I feel comes out of this, really, to reflect upon. Yep, I think very well said, Teresa. I think for everybody who's listening, hopefully we're all um, resonating with how Amos does speak to a modern age. And uh, the warnings of the Lord. This is, this is the Lord speaking through his little sheep breeder. Um, they're just as, just as powerful today. Can we actually pay attention? Can we be brave enough to put it into practice? Right? It's uh, what really is repentance. Right? It's, uh, is it simply to say, "Oh, I'm sorry," and then just sit down and wait for the rapture? No. It's 
you know, to uh, to get on with it and uh, to turn around and say, okay, well, time to be time to be a little generous. Wasn't last week, but I'm going to do better this week, and uh, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, and away we go. And you know, and for like just people like me, okay, you don't pray once for healing. You pray all the time, right? You pray without ceasing. And it's like, don't give up. Don't keep. Don't uh, don't be silent for the Lord. Okay, Helen. I was looking at verse two just to take you back, and uh, as we've been sharing, I remembered uh, when Jesus tells the disciples that um, you did not choose me; I chose you. And um, I, I, I mean, the purpose is for them to bear fruit and fruit that will remain. And I'm trying to relate this message to also all of us, as Teresa has mentioned, the body of Christ, the church today. I mean, this intimacy, this relationship, and what God expects from us, what Christ expects from us, and uh, the fruits that we have to bear, the light we have to be to the world. I mean, the relationship, like any intimacy or any deep relationship, has fruits, has results. And um, I mean, he's looking to see these results come out like he was looking to see that the children of Israel are different and uh, they're sharing this light out, but they are not. And uh, it's the same message. And as we're doing Amos, I'm, t- I'm just asking myself, what is the Lord telling us today in the world today? And I am thinking it's actually not a mistake that we are doing this book and we are getting all these warnings. Uh, I see that uh, God is giving us a reminder to get into intercession, to get into crying out for mercy. The warnings are, uh, they are, apply- they are apply- applying to us today in today's world. And if I just go ahead... Um, where he says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? I mean, they were not in agreement with the Lord, but they were in agreement with each other. So they were agreeing to sin instead of agreeing to what the Lord had told them to do. And I'm looking at us today sometimes, are we agreeing with what's going on in the world? And sometimes we don't have to agree by saying, I agree with it, but passively, by not saying it out, by you know, being comfortable and complacent about certain things that are going on. And we are passively in agreement with the standards that are changing, with the things that we are allowing as normal. And I mean, you know, and God is looking at us as his body, as his people that should be standing in the gap. And when I look at when he says, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? And in doing that, we've made ourselves pray because, I mean, the scripture says that a lion is roaring, God is roaring. And in, in that, I mean, we are making ourselves pray uh, of, you know, of, of God because, I mean, we are putting ourselves on the other side of, you know, of being taken up. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Literally, we are caught. You know, we're caught in the game. We are caught in the things that we're doing. And I'm looking at all these things. I'm like, have we been a trap? Will a, will a bad fall unless, you know, there's a trap? What traps have been set today? What traps are in our schools, in our families, in our societies? And we are falling in these traps, you know. And I'm just looking at it and I'm like, God, have mercy. It, it just brings me to that place of crying out for mercy as a church, as the people of God. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much, Helen. So Helen is in Jerusalem, originally from Uganda. So um, it's been great. Africa has taught us a lot today. Hey, Shimshon and uh, and Helen. It's uh, thank you very much, sister. I really appreciate it. 
very lot of wisdom. Um, I don't know what else to say other than I agree with you 100. percent we'll, 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 as we work through through Amos, let's all try and and uh, um, not just repent and uh, beg for mercy, but also know that intercessions work. Okay, who's one of our uh, great heroic intercessors in the Bible? Moses. Yes. <laughs> what did God want to do? You know, after people were sinning, I said, "I'm going to wipe these people out." And Moses stood in the gap and said, "You know," and he's not perfect, right? He, he didn't even want the job in this at the beginning, but uh, when he when he did have the job, he was also then brave enough to say, "Lord, hey, look, no, you you gotta you gotta you can't be like that. I'll intercede for these people, and uh, we can we can and we should." And uh, but at the same time, the burden is upon us to not just intercede, but also to, to change that little bit of the world around us. Or as um, you mentioned in the chat, uh, Michael, uh, not just go to heaven, but uh, bring heaven here. Okay, Shimshon, Nigeria. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Um, you mentioned in verse number six, um, you know, the concept of God creating calamity. Um, it's something that is uh, a very, very strong word for today's Christians to absorb. Um, to say evil comes from God, for, for instance, it's uh, it's very strange, especially people that are very um, New Testament oriented. Uh, because when you go back in the scripture, you see that um, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 45, God speaking there, Isaiah speaking, and, and God is speaking there, he says that uh, I create good and I create evil. And... Um, but we are told in church um, on Sunday school morning that um, there's no evil from God. And so we grew up like that. And now it's very difficult for us to marry this kind of text when we read it. Um, also in First Samuel, when it says that um, an evil spirit from the Lord came and tormented Saul. And we see that again, and uh, it begins to challenge our theology that, oh, God doesn't do anything evil and good. Yeah. So my my take in that verse six is that uh, we need to understand it in the in a deeper meaning so that it can make meaning to us. Yeah. Nice. That reminded me of a study I had this morning, Shimshon. Um, I was studying uh, the Parashat Shavua, the Torah portion on J Jethro, Yitro, and it starts off with um, "and Jethro heard," um, which of course then begs the the question: What did he hear? Where did he hear it? Who told him, you know, uh, these kinds of things. And so there was a discussion that went along the lines like this. Um, uh, in the in the realms of Midian and sort of other Zoroastrian traditions, there, the, the sort of belief was there's two gods. There's one that's good and there's one that's bad. The bad one doesn't do good and the good one doesn't do bad. So what did Jethro hear? He heard, hang on, there's a God that redeemed. He fed, he clothed, he guided. He's good, but at the very same time, he smashed the gods of Egypt. He was also evil. And when I say the word evil, I don't mean you know, there's a dark soul to God. No, he, 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 the death of the firstborn, that's not a good act, okay? And so Jethro is like, oh, my gosh, there's not two gods. There's one, and he could do both. i got to go and see this dude. Okay, so Now, I, I, that's an interesting take on it, but... Um, but uh, but you're absolutely right. We're in a culture that can only seem to look at the one side of God, the the, the good bit, and, and we've forgotten that there's a book called Revelation. Um, even if you don't like reading Hebrew Bible, you still have to get to the end of the New Testament where God smashes most of the planet. 
Um, and uh, so, as he says, I do. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I have not changed. You've all changed. I have not changed. And, um, and so the same guy who took everybody out of Egypt is the same guy that eventually turns around and goes, okay, that's it, show's over. And uh, we start the bowls and seals and stuff. So the prophets are 100% true. He does create good, and he also brings bad. Michael. What gets me is from <clears throat> last week when Deacon John made the statement that what Israel and Judah had done to profane God was to make him exactly like the false gods around them. So mm. that when somebody came to Jerusalem or when they came to the temple, how was this God any different than any of ours? And that really hit me like a ton of bricks because that is exactly what's going on in America. Uh, my previous denomination was the Episcopal Church USA, which uh, suffered a split uh, many years ago. And it was all about what we're talking about now. Well, you know, we want this God. We want yeah. the one that is... Let's tear this page out of the Bible. We don't like that. Pretty soon you're left with a, a little short menu of things that you can get along with, but that's not the God of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Made God in our own image. And so that's a good question, guys. So what are we doing to make God different in, in our lives to the world? Um, okay, we, we, we can take it on a, on a community level and on a uh, church level. That's true. But also we can also take it on a personal level and because uh, and obviously that's one of the best places to start. Now, we have to make sure that when we actually interact with the world, and I hope we all interact with the world, that uh, we, we end up actually presenting a true image um, of God. So one of my favorite uh, parts of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or the Church of the Anastasios, uh, the Church of the Resurrection, is the Chapel of Derision. It's a once you get off Golgotha and you turn around a corner, you kind of this tiny little thing, and uh, usually people walk past it because it's got almost no adornment whatsoever. Um, but it's the spot where you're supposed to just to sit for a brief moment and think that um, this is this is about all the people insulting and hurling insults at uh, at the Lord uh, while He's saving them, and then then to turn around and go, okay, or what do I do in my life? I am saved. I still insult the Lord. You know that's that's the, the one of the purposes of this chapel. It's a pretty good little just thought for me anyway to go. Okay, I've got to make. I've got to clean up my act. I've got to clean up my speech. I've got to clean up the way I present to God. I've got to make sure that my silence is not an affirmation. Right? If something's wrong, unfortunately. Much of us just stay silent. But all that does is think that the 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 hearer who heard nothing thinks that we're actually agreeing, which is not true. And so we have, we need God's wisdom. We need his voice and his spirit. Uh, all of this is, is true. And, uh, for putting into context with Amos, uh, Deacon John was is correct. They had made God look like all the other gods, which is profanity. That's because uh, he, is, he is everything other than like all the other gods. Um, and then put in our modern culture, We've unfortunately done done the same. Helen, Jerusalem. Thank you. Um, thank you again. I'm coming to verse 7 where I'm seeing the mercy of God and also when Amos says that surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And um, I'm seeing that all this warning is going out to Israel and God is revealing it and he's making them aware of it. And... It's the same thing that today, and uh, I mean, Aaron was asking that, uh, I mean, you made a statement and you say that uh, 
you know, when God prophecy, when prophecy is brought out, it's not only like it will happen. Sometimes it's even to prevent things from happening or, you know, probably if we step in and uh, intercede or, you know, you know, it can, it might, it might not happen. I mean, so if probably in such a case, uh, these people would relent and turn and cry, never all this would not happen. So and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, are we hearing the voice of God today? Are we hearing the warning? Like you have been saying that God is speaking, but are we hearing? So are we hearing the voice of God today? And then when he continues to say that when the land has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? I think it challenges us that when we get the word of God, not to keep quiet and not to, you know, not, I mean, to speak it out because, I mean, he has roared. Who can but prophesy? Like, speak it out and let it, let it go out and let the people hear the warning and let them know it. And then, Take action because when we don't take action, then sometimes we, we get the repercussion of what will happen. So it's just challenging me that if God is speaking, are we hearing? And if He's given you a message, are we speaking it out? And also mm-hmm. in our churches today, do we have the opportunity to speak what the Lord has given us? Or we're like, okay, prophecy nowadays it was for the years of Amos, maybe nowadays it's not working. Are we? allowing space for prophecy thank you and and i think we have to be um very careful i think that's the reason why paul gives us rules about how we how we do prophecy sometimes we have so many prophets speaking it drowns out the true one true one and uh, so you know paul was like no look two or three like let's not go crazy here let's keep it so that we can actually hear god's voice not a, not everybody else's um prophecy is a warning and it can prevent. There is a great prophetic book where it was prevented, Jonah, right? And uh, and boy, was Jonah upset about that, which seems really strange because that was your job. <laughs> you know, go warn them. Oh, they heeded my warning? Oops. You know, um, that was actually the, the, the point. So it's, it's a, his, his book, read on Yom Kippur, uh, which is an excellent book because it's a bunch of Gentiles repenting, um, is is uh, is is a is a good indication that you can prevent the coming disaster. Repent, you know, it's a very powerful, powerful um, thing to do. All right, Teresa, London. Yeah, just I was just thinking. Of, yes, the prophecy point Helen made, I see very clearly, and I agree. But I think if we really want to make an impact as individuals as well, we need to actually be very aware of our behaviour and how we are responding. How how are we seen by non-Christians who know we belong to a church or we are Christians? And do we walk in forgiveness? Are we seen as, as forgiving, kind of peacemaking? Do they see our generosity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Because, you know, it's really, it's really easy for us all to um, think we're doing it all right. You know, I'm a Christian and, you know, I follow Jesus, et cetera. But actually, how would we be seen? And also in our relationships with each other, that's really key because there are people outside on, who are onlookers. And I've heard many years ago, somebody said, I, I wouldn't want to go. This is a long time ago. So, you know, no one will know where I'm talking about. 
you you know I wouldn't want to go to that church because I've seen how they how they treat people and how they've yeah, treated you sad. now that yeah. is shocking that is shocking if you think about it we really have to think we're on show all the time and obviously if we're working in the workplace it's really important you know yeah. do we follow the lies do we just bend our expenses claim a little bit um <laughs> yeah. you know because i you know there's tendency to do that do we take the pencils and the pens I think they still use them a little bit, <laughs> yeah. but do we take them home? Well, you know, I need that because I'm going to do some work at home. You know, that kind of thing. It's it's actually how good are we really? How do yeah. we match up? Being in Israel, it's a lot easier and hard at the same time, but it's a lot easier to be a witness for the Lord because I'm not Jewish and I'm not an Arab. So when I walk out my front door, I'm automatically classified Christian. The hard bit is you guys, right? Because when, you know, um, when uh, Vitek walked out his front door in sunny Prague, um, you know, he looks like all the other Czech guys, right? Well, maybe not because he got a really cool beard. But, um, you know, and he goes, how do they know Vitek's a believer? How do they know Teresa's a believer? How do they know Linda from sunny Scotland follows the Lord? And that's that's a tough one. So we we got to figure out how to shine that light because the world really needs it. Okay, hand raised. Vida, David. Erin, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm listening to all of you saying, and I'm finding it very strange, coming from Israel again, back to being in the UK now again for three, four years now. It's, it's very hard for me. I'm listening to everything we're saying because we're talking about prophecy. And it says the spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Jesus. Now, I'm finding being back in the UK, I can be good and I can show my goodness to everybody. But don't let me speak about Jesus. And I'm finding most Christians are doing all these good things, but they won't say anything about the gospel. They're Jesus. too afraid. They, will, they don't want to offend anybody. They want to be good. They want to be kind and loving. So they stop speaking the gospel. And this is what I'm finding very strong in the UK. Nobody wants to. The minute you mention the gospel of Jesus, they take offense. And the Bible says clearly that for those perishing, it will be an offense to them. So we have to. We have to speak. And I'm not negating do good, be seen as different. But without the gospel, it's pointless. Exactly. Yep. Very good point. And, uh, yeah, um, again, I get a bit easier. Everybody else has to think, why? Because when someone says to me, Aaron, what do you do? Then I get to easy. I'm a deacon of Christchurch in Jerusalem. It's an Anglican mission. Well, I've, uh, it's out there now, people. <laughs> um, that's, but, yeah, so, uh, but, yeah, so the challenge accepted. Challenge accepted, Vida. Okay, uh, Brittany from, wait, Tennessee. Yes. Um, I'm just listening to all of this and I hear the struggles with being that light to your neighbors but for me I feel like the challenge is within my family kind of like with the church is within my family I have that persecution for being that light and I feel that pushback of trying to say say the gospel and be the light and love of Christ but then it's like where is it in the New Testament where it's like the father against their son and the mother against their mother-in-law and daughter against um, father? It's like 
I see that in my own family and within families around me, this consistent walking with, with the gods of this world instead of the God of Israel is that we're falling away from the truth mm. and it's happening within families more and more. And we're seeing it more and more and I'm seeing it. And it's like, all I can do is sit on my knees and pray and intercede and hope that, you know, my family will change. But this is also persecution. And Jesus says in Matthew yeah, five, blessed are you who are persecuted because of my name. And that's going to increase. And so I'm seeing it increasing in my own family. And I know that it's only going to get worse. The increase yeah. of persecution of following Christ. And thank God we can even do this still, because who knows how long this, this ability to even speak freely over internet about our King. It's yeah. Well, while we have the opportunity, we will. And uh, I think what we also need to do is make sure that when the suffering comes, okay, let's try not to suffer alone. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, you know, hold each other's hands and, and, and encourage each other in, in that, in that way, just like the early believers did. Okay. And, uh, and they grew the church. We grew the kingdom of heaven. So we shouldn't be afraid of it. Is, well, we are afraid of it, but we shouldn't be afraid of it. It's an opportunity for growth. God is not without his witnesses. So what is this chapter? Who are the witnesses for the Lord? Okay. Against Israel. Unfortunately, the bad guys. <laughs> uh, you've got uh, the Philistines in Ashdod. You've got Egypt, where we came out from. Okay, uh, God comes along and says, "Okay, come, come, Ashdod, come, Egypt. You come and you watch what I'm going to do." So I, uh, there's a God acts and people and the world watches, um, which is interesting because these guys are pagans. Right? This is not believers watching; the non-believers watching what the Lord does and uh, says, uh, uh, "The the the." Damn the the chat the charge is horrible. Verse ten, they don't know how to do right. Well, who was supposed to teach them? And uh, the priests, the prophets, you know, all the people, the the upper echelon. There, there was a system in place that was there to teach the truth, and the system's been in place since God put it in place. And we turn around and we say, well, why is our culture going so bad? Um, you know, why don't they know to do right? And at the end of the day, we have to turn around and go, because we ain't we're not teaching them right. We know what the truth is. Truth sets you free. We've got uh, the best book in the entire world. And uh, we've got a sacred history, right? It's not just a book. It's a history. And uh, it's a history of action, of things that happened, of, uh, of um, uh, indisputable facts, including some really cool archaeology. But uh, all these things point to to what God has done. And so then the here is the, the punishment. The enemy will come. They'll pull down the strongholds. So they're powerful. Military might will come down first, right? They will pull down um, their fortresses. All the things that they feel secure, you take them away. And then, uh, and then you get uh, basically ripped up and uh, everything's going to be plundered. All of that stuff's going to be um, taken away later on. It's going to be the houses of uh, the, the the winter and summer summer mansions. But as um, we mentioned in verse twelve, uh, and it seems negative, okay, because it's the someone's been chewed up and ripped apart. But there's also and it looks bleak, okay. There's not much left of the human here. Um, but 
the remnant is still there. And God can do amazing things with remnants, right? Um, he can change the world with a remnant, okay? And that's, uh, and we always have to make sure that that's one powerful hope that we always have as well. And uh, we, we discussed the, the name change of Jacob, especially at the place of Bethel, where he gets his name, Israel. And inside Jacob are all the 12 tribes. So we really are talking about everybody. Judah really is included here. And uh, we will destroy pagan altars. There will be no other gods, right? At the end, when 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 uh, God ha is pouring His wrath, even in Revelation, His mountain is raised high, and all other mountains are raised low. There are no other gods, and He will actually tell the world that. Eventually, the world will see. There's nobody else um, uh, out there. So the uh, the altars of Bethel will be destroyed, and uh, and all those things that we hoped on. Later on, it's economy. So the the last part of 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 the chapter is. Uh, yeah, the economics is is the wealth being taken away. And uh, this is a declaration. It's a warning. It doesn't have to happen. It did happen because uh, the you know Amos prophesied and unfortunately people ignored it. But uh, hope we want to make sure that we don't uh, suffer that same, that same fate. Any other comments or thoughts about our about our chapter? It's very pertinent to today's culture. It's very pertinent to the church and the people of God today both Jews and Gentiles. It's very pertinent to those who are living in the Islamic world who are coming to faith. Right? God is never without a witness. He's not without uh, the ability to, to call his people. But um, Israel has been chosen. They've still got that calling. Uh, we've got a, that, that same calling. We're grafted into this, into this calling. And uh, we've got to make sure that we continue to shine that light because there's going to come a time where there'll be no more, or what, is it, what do they say? Once the daylight fades, that once there'll be no more day, we will not be able to say it, it's today. And night has come, and no one will be able to to work. But we've still got time, so that's a good thing. Um, thanks for wrestling with this challenge. Accepted. Let's try and make sure that we um, speak the truth in love. Yes, but speak it, live it, show it, show the world somehow that uh, we're followers of the King.